Ah, uh, um, so how much is that? Welcome into the podcast editor mastermind show podcast with me, Jennifer Longworth of Bourbon Barrel Podcasting. I'm Daniel Abendroth of Roth Media. And I'm Carrie Caulfield, Eric of Yaya Podcasting. Brian Antsminger is not with us. He's on vacation and we told him that was okay. But our special guest is Chris Curran with the Podcast Engineering School. Welcome, Chris. Hi. Thank you guys for having me. This is awesome. So honored to be on here with you. I was wondering if you're going to bring Barry along, but I, I didn't ask ahead of time. <sighs> you know, he went home for the day, actually. Mm, Maybe Barry went on fair. vacation with Brian. May- Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I should have asked earlier to, to arrange for that. And if folks don't know what we're talking about, that means they've never listened to your show. And that is sad. And they should have. They, they can go back and listen to the episode where I was on it. Yes, that was a great one. Yeah, and me too. <laughs> and yep. Gary too. But uh, we should tell people what the show is in case they are unaware. It is the podcast engineering show. Yeah, that's my show. Uh, so we talk about all the audio production aspects of podcast production. So we go really deep into audio uh, because that's my background. And uh, it's really deep. Uh, it's not for everyone. But um, but if you're into learning audio knowledge, it's it's great over time to just absorb like week after week, just absorb knowledge. So over time, that adds up. Because you get into the weeds of things, you know, here we talk about editing and post-production a little bit, but you, you know, being podcast engineering, dig down into some of the nitty gritty of what's actually happening with sound too, right? Exactly. We go really deep. And that's why it's not for everyone. So, because so, some people don't want to go that deep, right? They just want to hit record, have a decent mic, hit record, and that's great. So... Right. Well, we, we hope that people would at least do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, sometimes. <laughs> anyway. So, t- you mentioned your background being in the sound engineering and stuff. So, tell us a little bit of your background and how you ended up in podcasting. Uh, well, I was an audio engineer in the 90s, uh, early and mid-90s in New York City, working in some of the big studios, working on records and stuff. So, that was awesome. And then... I moved out of New York and was producing bands on the side. And then I did a few other things. Uh, and then 2012 is when I got into podcasting. When I learned about it, I was like, wait a minute. There's this thing where people record an audio show and then post it on the web and it's on demand. I was <gasps> like, that is cool. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like way overqualified to do that. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, that's how I got into podcasting. Yeah. Very cool. What was the first podcast that you you listened to? Probably one of the first ones was Cliff Ravenscraft. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. What did he used to call his show? I, I, you I got me. Anyway, before it was the Cliff Ravenscraft <laughs> show, it was something else. But anyway, because he was teaching pod, podcast production at that time as well. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... Yeah. Was he like the impetus to you kind of getting into it or knowing it was something you could do? Or So he actually had, uh, I think it was a series of seven or eight videos on his website that actually walked you through the entire process of starting a podcast. Like the media hosting, the f- everything, literally everything from start to finish. And I just watched all of those. And then that's how I learned how to oh, podcast. Cool. So very handy for me back then. Yeah. 
is the podcast engineering show? Was that is that your first and only podcast, or was there is there like some secret oh. podcast we don't know about? No, there were many. No, there were many. Um, 20, 2012 is when I, I I opened a physical podcast studio in New Jersey in twenty twelve, and I immediately started probably three or four shows with co-hosts because. You know, I'm opening a studio that does podcast production specifically. And like on my website, I have to show some shows. Oh, yeah. Like if like it can't be blank. So I was like, I got to start a few shows. So I did. And then I got uh, I did something really cool, which is I invited all like my networking friends from the Chamber of Commerce. I invited them onto my business show so they would come into my studio yeah. They'd put on the headphones, they'd sit in the seat, they'd be like, oh, wow, this is cool. And and so some of them ended up, I ended up produce, yeah, producing their audio for their show, which was cool. So, but no, I had several podcasts. Um, yeah, I mean, we could name, name them, but uh, the only one I'm still doing is The Mystic Show, but I don't do that very often. The Mystic Show is about spirituality and meditation. That's also very deep stuff as well. It's not just the surface level, you know, meditation kind of stuff. You're a deep guy, man. Yeah. And you wrote a book too. <laughs> yeah. That was about three years before I got into podcasting. I wrote a self-help book because I'm really into this whole thing that people can really change their life. Like if you focus and really develop yourself and your your character and your your faculties as a human being, you can really just achieve a lot in a fairly short time. It's just focus and energy, putting it into yourself because you, for each person, you are the instrument that gets everything done. So when you, when you develop this instrument and get rid of negative habits and develop good habits, like then you're a powerful instrument. Then if you turn your focus on this thing, you can do it because you're powerful. And so anyway, I was, I'm all into that, but I, I stopped doing that because no one cares about that actually. Oh, oh, well I care. No, no, no one, (laughs) very few people care about improving themselves and, and, and getting better. They really don't. If you, if you think I'm lying, go out and try to tell people how powerful they are and how beautiful they are and all the things they can achieve and then experience what happens and then come back and tell me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I buy a lot of books about it. <sighs> That's good. I, uh, so... I have been saying that to my son for uh, like, I don't know, his entire life. And last night he just like came into my room and said, I had an epiphany. Like, I can think different thoughts. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, oh where'd you, how, how, you know. I learned that on TikTok. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> it's like if that's how go. it comes to you, then okay. Oh. Now, Chris, you were part of the podcast engineer engineering school. That's you, podcast editors conference. Yes, on a panel, and one of the things that was mentioned was that you, at the time, only had five clients, and this is your life. So. Tell us a little bit about how you have a full-time business with only five clients and how you're pivoting that a little bit to focus on some other aspects of your business. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll start with having few clients. And what it really comes down to is offering um, more services and also charging a lot more for those services. So 
I don't know. What what do you guys think the average is to edit a podcast? What is it? 60 bucks, 80 bucks? I thought 100? it was 100. Yeah, 100? I think it's okay, a, the 100. last time Steve did a stir- survey, it was like 100, which had been up from 80. So that's good. If you offer premium services and then you charge a premium dollar amount, that's how you can have five clients. So instead of charging 100 bucks an episode, I, well, these days I won't charge less than 500. Oh, wow. So wow. I don't, I don't, I, I really can't do anything for less than that. Um, but it's not, don't, I'm not doing the same things that a hundred dollar per episode editor does. I'm doing more in terms of the audio production, uh, in terms of the audio engineering of it specifically, and also in terms of service. One thing I do that no one else does is for my clients, I'm there during the recording session. I run the session. I sound check everybody, the guests, the host. I record everything. I record all the backups. So all my client has to do is show up on the call and, you know, obviously set up their mic and whatever, show up on the call, give their guests the link and all that. And then when they show up there, it's like having your own engineer. It's so cool for these people. They they love having their own engineer. So, but that's a premium service. So, you know, that's. That's something I, I talked to you at, uh, we were at podcast editors conference. I came up to you and talked, cause it's something I'd really been thinking about for a while now. Um, so I wanted to kind of pick your brain. I actually did it with one of my clients. I kind of tested out a little bit and it's cool having from their perspective, because like she is not tech savvy at all. So having somebody there, like, cause I think we used a uh, Squadcast. So having somebody like in the chat to be like, yeah, you're the guest needs to do this and this cause they're, you know, they don't sound great. And that's why you can be in control of the process. That way it makes your editing part- portion a lot easier. Right. Because then, you know, the, your client, one, it can look more professional because like to their guests, because they have their own engineer with them. And it takes a lot of the stress out of it because they don't have to worry about um, the tech side of it because yep. you can handle it all. Yeah. And just because you mentioned you were there in chat, you you were chatting with your host or something. So I was on the call with them. So it was like a three-way call. Yeah. And then whenever they started, I, I turned off my camera so they couldn't see me. Right. But I could still hear everything. Right. And when you were sound checking the guest, you were you had your camera on and your mic on, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And just kind of like talking to the guest and to the host being like, you know, here's some things you need to do. You know, try this, try that type thing. Yep. Yeah. No, that's great. Right. People mm-hmm. love that. They love Yeah, it. absolutely. When you're doing that, Chris, are you like if they, for instance, need to restate something, do you tell them that or they restate it in a way that makes it harder to cut out? Do you interrupt? No, not at all. Once the sound check is done and once my once I tell the host that, okay, technically we're ready to go. Then if my host says, okay, let's go, then I just hit record everywhere and that's it. I'm out. I mute my mic. I'm not on the screen. I don't interrupt. I mean, unless unless there's a major problem. Unless someone, you know, the old someone's using their earbud mic and it starts rubbing <laughs> around everywhere, oh, yeah. you know, that uh, things like that, I will butt in. I'll say, hold on. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Hold on. Excuse me. Um, and then I'll address the problem. But other than that, I don't I literally don't do anything. And yeah. What platform are you using, Chris, when you're working with people? Um, I guess mostly Squadcast. I was I used Zencaster for many years up until probably about six months ago. And then I lost my first recording with Zencaster, which had never happened before. 
And so, and of course, I know about Squadcast. I actually pay for Squadcast, Zencaster, and Ringer. I paid for all three for a while. Now I'm not paying for Ringer anymore. So then I'm like, well, let me give Squadcast a try. And then that's all working well until about <laughs> a month ago when one of the guests dropped off and immediately came back into the session. And I didn't know this funny little nonsensical idiotic rule with with Squadcast that when, when anybody drops off the call, the recording stops. WTF, people. WTF. Message to Squadcast. <laughs> I, I, I didn't hit record again when she came back. I was just like, okay, go ahead. So literally more than half the episode, we didn't even record. <gasps> oh. Actually, no. it was We recorded seven minutes. The other 53 minutes was not recorded. So then I talked to the Squadcast guys, and they, they supposedly can get you the backups, which they can. Yeah. But all the backups are different lengths, and it's weird, and there's a bunch of pieces. And I'm like, what is this? And so <laughs> anyway, I wrote them. Look, Squadcast is great. They're great guys. They're great, but they're not perfect. And so I actually talked to Zach a little bit and vented my frustration. And I, I mean, I've known Zach for years and, and he. Uh, yeah, I mean, I went at him a little hard because. That's a big deal. Yeah, especially when people are paying a lot of money. Yeah. Paying you a lot of money to capture that. Yeah, but OK, it's OK if they if they want. That's how they want to run their platform. Fine. It's up to me to know that. Right. Because yeah. in the end, I should have hit record again. Right. I should have. I accept that. So, so you mentioned that you like set up backup recordings as well as like the main recording. Is that right? Yeah. How do you like? What do you use for that? Like, how does that work? I I'm on a Mac, so I use Audio Hijack uh, to capture everything. So if I have if I have, let's say we're using Squadcast in Chrome, I can record Chrome by itself. If we have someone from Skype. I have to call someone on the phone maybe and I use Skype. I can record Skype separately. I can record my mic separately. So Audio Hijack is where I record one set of backups. Then the next level of backup is actually my Mix Pre 6, which is my interface, which it actually only records the stereo out of the computer. So it's everything mixed together. But again, it's just a backup, which I, I literally never use. So yeah, so it's like Squadcast is the main recording. My audio hijack is capturing all the separate uh, inputs separately. That's the second. And then, then my interface, the Mix Pre 6. Does anybody know if there's like a PC uh, version? Voice, voice meter a banana. Voice meter? Okay. Is what it that. is. Or banana voice meter, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I did, I actually did a video with Daniel Hager. He's on a PC and he uses one. I, I forgot the name of it. I guess I could look real quick. Wasn't uh. I think it was voice meter, actually, yeah. I think that's the, the big one that, that everybody uses. Yeah, it's one I, I hear all the time. Where can we find that video? Um, I think it's on the YouTube channel for uh, Podcast Engineering School. Okay. So. Cool. For some people, because I know we talked about like roles in podcasting and like executive producers, like one that, you know, gets thrown around a little bit. But I think like using that kind of engineering side of things is a great way if you wanted to kind of step up into even a bigger role of being like that executive producer to kind of help steer the conversation. Because I know I have clients that I've actually kind of thought about, you know, bring it up with them because on their show, 
it's a solo show and they kind of go up on these like random tangents and it's like kind of crazy. So it'd be kind of nice to be like on the episode and being like, hey, this is kind of a little weird. Do you want to kind of like rein it in and like reword that or whatever? And plus, if you're doing that, you can also make notes while you're recording so you know what all edits you need to make before you get into it. Do you do that, Chris? Do you make I do the that notes? already. Okay. I, I make all my edit notes while it's happening. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think you're absolutely right, Daniel. There's a there's a there's definitely a role there where someone can not only engineer the sessions live in terms of the audio production, but also be a producer. And maybe even after the interview, if there's a couple questions, a couple follow up questions that the host did not ask, but maybe me as the producer, I thought of them before the guest hangs up. I could say, "Hey." Uh, Ask him this real quick or, ask, you know, ask the ask these two questions. Because I know, like, on a personal level, you know, the, the things my clients talk about, like, I'm not an expert in, but they are. And I know, like, the things that I'm an expert in, I often take for granted my knowledge that I have and expect other people to know it. So I don't know, like, if I say some little too high level that I need to, like, break it down. So having that kind of, and it's something you can sell to your clients, like, having somebody who's not an expert in the field listen in and being like, this concept does not make any sense to me. Right. There's nothing worse than listening to a podcast. And I said this before, but there's nothing worse than listening to a podcast where they use a technical term like, I don't know, floop and stopper. And you don't know what that is. And they never explain it to you. Mm. Like, and it's, it's like a critical thing in the interview. <laughs> it just drives me nuts. Okay, dropping that link to the video in the yeah. oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. chat. That's a- yeah, just remember that link. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's in the comments. No, and it'll be in the show notes as well. So. so tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Uh, okay, yeah. So I, well, I still produce. I still have some clients, uh, but... And I love producing audio. I really do. And I'm still buying plugins. And, you know, I have, I have, <laughs> I, I have a problem. Oh, that money pit. It's anyway. rough. It's rough. All right. Anyway. So, yeah, I've producing podcasts for clients, but, uh, but I've been running my podcast engineering school for the last three and a half years. And it's going very well. Everyone who's been through it has absolutely loved it. And everyone is really benefiting a lot from it. And I'm looking to grow my school even more, uh, which I'm, I don't know. I'm not, I don't know how to market things and I don't, I don't really know how to do anything except audio. So hopefully my school will grow, but uh, you know, eventually I'd like to just focus on my school and not only offer the big program because the big program with podcast engineering school, you know, it's a little expensive for some people, but I'm going to start making some smaller programs as well, more focused and stuff. So they'll be less expensive. And so, yeah, that's, that's where I see myself going. That's where I see how I can help the most. And so I don't know if there'll be a day when I don't do any podcast production. I mean, I'll always produce my show, uh, but I'll probably always have a couple clients. Um, But yeah, running the school is what I'm focused on. So who is the school for? Who's your ideal student? School is for uh, anyone who wants to earn a living as a podcast editor or producer. So, and, 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 and maybe they haven't gone to school for audio engineering. Right. Um, so it's a great way to bring anyone up to speed where you can go from pretty much knowing nothing about producing podcasts, all like to being one of the best in the industry, just because of the training and the knowledge that I can give you that's specifically tailored 
for podcast production, right? I mean, there's a lot more with, in terms of music production, but you don't need that for podcast production. So I kind of whittled it all down to what you need. So yeah, anyone who wants to make a living editing or producing podcasts, that's really who my school is for. But surprisingly, probably half or more of my students are just regular podcasters who actually, they just want to know how to do it. Like they don't know what to do. They don't know how to do it. And they just want to know. So they enroll and they love it. Very cool. I'm really excited about those smaller ones because I've been wanting to go through your school for like two years now, but it's just like the cost. I haven't been able to uh, get the money together for it. So I'm, I'm interested in the smaller ones. Yeah, that should be good. I'm going to do some focused smaller ones and try to figure out how to do <laughs> Seems that. Seems like the plugins are Jordans for editors. <laughs> <laughs> I think they, I think they oh, are. That's awesome. Like, I don't need this plugin. I don't need another compressor, like I'm but I'm going to get gonna it. Use it for, I'm going to use it for like one thing, like once. Yeah. And then I'm not even going to learn shelf. how to use it, but I'm going to buy it anyway. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Everyone says this is cool. With RX7, like RX7 Elements, people will buy it when it's on sale. And then they'll be like, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> well, like, I haven't you opened it. 19 or $29 on Elements. Mm-hmm. Little yeah. do you know, that's really just the gateway drug. Well, yeah, yeah the voice get the noise alone. I mean, come on. Like, that will save you days in terms of like your podcast editing year yeah (laughs) so but but yeah you have a unique view because uh chris because you work with people learning this stuff like so first of all how many people do you have in like one session of the podcast engineering school usually around five plus or minus so i do four semesters a year and there's usually about five students in there. I think total so far have gone through my schools like 80, 80 or 85 students, something like that. Well, first of all, thank you for making podcasts better for all of us. <laughs> better to listen to. Right? So what is the theme when you have these editors and you're, you know, these 80 editors, is there like a common theme that they've like struggled with or like a common knowledge gap? I mean, I know there's all the super technical stuff that you teach probably, but like just kind of on a basic level, what is the the fundamental gap or struggle? Yeah. So, so you're right about all the technical training because that's, that's mainly what I'm giving. But one of the things that I do also cover is how to get new clients and how to structure your business and how to charge and things like that. So that's one thing I see where even, even students who graduate my school they can still sometimes be a little timid and not, you know, not really putting themselves out there like they should. I've actually tried several times in our private Slack group to get like a new client challenge going. And like, there's like a little interest, but not enough to like, for like five or 10 of us to get together and be like, okay, every day this week, I'm going to reach out to five people. Wow. Or something. Or I'm just making that up, but yeah. it could be anything. But yeah, so getting clients is 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 big, especially if it's their first one. Cause then there's o- there's always that like even if you're trained and you know everything, there's still that hesitancy that like, yeah, I'm a podcast engineer and I'm and I'm worth three or five times the going rate. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a head game for people. Yeah. 
So do you have a, like a particular, and this I think will help a lot of people. Do you have a particular strategy to combat that? Or is it something that? No, not really. I mean, I, I try to inspire people, but if someone has that itch and they really want to do it, that that's what it takes. Someone, they got to want to do it. And they're like, almost, it's almost like hitting the wall and being like, you know what? That's it. I, I, expletive, expletive. <laughs> I'm going to do it. <laughs> right? I'm going to do it. So that that's what it takes. You got to get to that point. I don't know. Before people get to that point, it's like, oh, I got to, uh, yeah, I'll do that as soon as my website's done. And it's like, okay, I get it. I actually get that. Like, you know, you, a web, getting a website done is something that a lot of people use for excuses. But look, if you're opening an editing biz, podcast editing and production business, you kind of do need a website, right? Because you need, people are going to go to somewhere and you have to show them. So I get it. But like, let's not take four months to do your website. You know, like let's, maybe we can just get something up in a, a day. In fact, I did that with uh, Michael Jerry. I challenged him. I'm like, dude, you got 24 hours to get a website up. I'm tired of this. He did. He did. <laughs> yeah, it's 2020. Up. You can do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, that's what I did with my first website was like, all right, I'm just going to sit down and do it. And it's just like one page. Doesn't have to be super fancy. It's just got to contain all the things. And yeah. I, I struggled with a few months to get my website done because like I know how to do Gosh, it. And I, wanted to, like, I knew what I wanted. <laughs> but then it's like, you know what? It needs to get done. Well, to be fair, like I was already editing and so my website was like an afterthought. Um, hmm. But eventually I got to the point, it's like, you know, obviously I'm not going to do it. So let me just pay somebody to do it for me. Yep. And Brown Sunday did a pretty good job. Cool. Yeah. The, the one thing I, I will say about reaching out to potential clients is that, and and I, I've been through sales training in, in other positions I've had in my life. So I've, I, I'm, I'm so happy I went through sales training, but... The thing about going out to try to find new clients is you can't think that you're going out to find new clients. You just have to think you're going to go out and say hi to a bunch of people. Like I tell my, I tell them, I said, go, of course you can't do it now with COVID, but like go walk down the street, just walk into every business and say, Hey, uh, my name's Chris. I, I live in town. I just wanted to let you know, I produce podcasts for a living. So if you ever have any questions about podcast production, let me know. Here's my card. Bye. And walk out. Like, that's it. Don't sell. You're not there to sell. You're there because maybe one out of 20 of these businesses you walk into, one out of 20 or maybe one out of 10, the guy's going to go, no way, dude. You produce podcasts. I wanted to start one, man. I didn't know what to do. Right? Yep. yep. Well, you started in the very beginning when we started chatting, you mentioned the Chamber of Commerce. How does that, like, I think that's a good tip, like start with your chamber of commerce, you know, be, like my local chamber of commerce, $50 to be a member for a year. Well, mine's a little more than that. Right. Well, my chamber of commerce is also very small. <laughs> I'm like, you got like 10 people in yours. Yeah. <laughs> Katie, tiny bulls, Delaware. My chamber of commerce includes like all, everybody's chamber of commerce people <laughs> from each town, but but seriously, there's ways where you can, but before I like join the chamber of commerce, I, you know, would occasionally send them some, um, PDFs of like interesting tips and things that would help them that kind of related to podcasting, 
but not necessarily. And he was doing it for free. So now I'm the podcast baby. <laughs> so, but nice. that's, you know, it's little stuff like that, that you can do. And I think that, that that's a good point. And do you do anything with your like chamber of commerce, Chris? Actually, no, I don't. I haven't done anything local here in Colorado Springs. Um, when I moved here five years ago, that's when I made the transition. I, I was, I had my physical studio in New Jersey for exactly three years. And then a few, literally like a month or two later, we moved here. And that's when I actually transitioned my business over to fully virtual. So I don't have a physical studio. Nobody comes to my house here and does any, you know, does their show from here. And I also didn't um, join the local chamber because, you know, I had some clients already. And, and actually, when I first moved here, like immediately after we moved here, within three months, I got the biggest gig I ever got, which was uh, producing 14 shows for the Forbes Podcast Network back in 2016. Wow. And that was like, that, that was big, right? That was big. So... And, and, and what's cool is once you do like something like you keep doing things that are a little bigger, a little bigger, and then that's how you get bigger clients, right? Because they're like, oh, you worked with them. Oh, and you know, right. Then it's easier oh, yeah. to sell. Yeah. Yeah. And word of mouth referrals are huge. So if you're getting big clients, then they're going to refer you to their big friends. Right. So I'm curious, like how has your, I guess if you're not with only four clients, then you don't really need to like do a whole lot of reaching out for new clients, but like, how does that change since you switched from, or how did it change when you switched from a physical location to being more virtual as far as like finding clients? So here's the terrible thing. Well, one of the terrible things about me is, you know, when I, when I had my physical studio, I did go to the chamber and I did invite people to the studio and all that. But once I went virtual, I literally never, I never reached out. I, I never went hunting for clients. I, I just, I just never did. I, after the, because the Forbes gig happened almost immediately, and then I, I didn't even do any marketing or sales. Really, I just by, like you said, by word of mouth and, um, and well, and but what I did also was stay in the podcasting community. So you know, PodFest, podcast movement, and making a lot of friends in the industry. I think that probably helped to some degree. So. So how did you get the Forbes job? <laughs> so they, they found me actually, uh, Molly Beck, who now runs, uh, messy. It's a platform called messy yeah. that it, where you can produce your podcast and they host the audio and, uh, I think it's messy.fm. I better be right because, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Whatever it is, we'll put the show notes in the link. Or yeah. put the link in the show notes. <laughs> we'll well, either or. <laughs> yeah, it's messy.fm. So anyway, Molly runs that now. But back then, she was actually the one organizing the pod, the, the Forbes podcast network. So she was um, interviewing podcast production companies. And she interviewed me. And she asked for a proposal. And I... I, uh, I was one of seven, she got seven proposals and, um, funny thing about that is that she chose me, but my proposal was the most expensive. So, <laughs> right. Interesting. Why you, yeah. So why do you think that was? Like I think it's, 
first of all, my background is, is I think important when, you know, when people look and if they're going to look at you and they see that, they're like, oh, okay. But the other thing is just, you know, in a way, boldness, right? Boldness has genius power and magic in it, right? As the quote says. So it's, you know, if, if you, if you feel you're worth it and I didn't, I didn't charge them $5 million. Like, I mean, I'm not, it's not that I'm ripping them off. It's just, that's what I charge for that kind of work. And it just happened to be more expensive than others. And so I think maybe one thing this underscores is if you're going to give a proposal to a client and they are getting multiple proposals, if you are the cheapest, that reflects on you. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it's also the kind of client that you're going to attract. So if you have, if you low by yourself and you lower your rates and you try to uh, undercut everybody, you're going to attract those cheap clients that don't want to pay for anything. And as we probably all know, it's those cheap clients that are the require the most work. They're really high maintenance. But if you want to attract the clients that respect your work, then they you need to find the clients that are willing to pay what you're worth. So if you're charging what you're worth, you know, if it's higher than everybody else and you do land that client, you know that they they respect what you do. They see the value in what they do because it's worth paying for it. So it's a lot easier to work with them. So how do you know? But see, how do you know you were? I mean, maybe they went back and t- told you, but did you at the time know that you were more expensive? No. Okay. No. I just bid what I bid and she chose me. They, they chose me and that was it. So it was big big contract though. So that was 14 shows. Yeah. Yeah. Four, it was about seven months worth of work. 14. Yeah. Probably 14 episodes for 14 shows. What's 14 times 14, everybody. Anyway. Let me get up my calculator. <laughs> so I, yeah. That was a big contract. So, well, 196. Okay. How much? So 196. 196. 196 episodes in seven months. And it was probably a six-figure deal. Yeah. But then... But here's one thing I want to bring up and I want to ask you guys. So, Mm -hmm. if people are producing podcasts like you all are and I am, right? If you're charging X dollars per episode and your goal is to get to 5X, how do you get there? Like, I mean, meaning like... And I'm not talking in the real world. In the real world, it's easy. You just raise your price by, you just multiply mm-hmm. your price times five and you go talk to people. That's it. But it, in your mind though, right? It's how do you mentally go from, oh, I used to charge a hundred bucks an episode and now I'm going to go charge this guy 500. That seems crazy, right? How do you rethink that? I hired a money coach who helped me get from $40 an episode to $80 an episode. And that was a baby step, but I had to like pay somebody to help me retrain my brain <laughs> to at least, but I, you know, was it worth me paying her? Well, she made me rethink to at least double it. I'm still baby stepping my way. I have folks higher than that mark. I have folks lower than that mark, but you know, they had to face the money issues. Like, well, why are you hung up? on charging more and let's go back to why you think this way about money in your childhood and, you know, things like that. So a little bit of money therapy. I have a friend who's a money therapist and just what's your relationship and your mindset with money anyway. <laughs> I have a business coach and like, I think it was about a month ago, um, cause I run my company with my wife and we have very different mindsets around money. 
And so it was really interesting talking to my, because I have a business coach as well. So probably, yeah, to echo Jennifer, getting a, like a business coach or a money coach or somebody. Um, I was lucky enough that as I was coming up, I just landed clients that respected me more than I did. Sorry. And was that. like, you're charging way too little. I need you to raise my rate so I can feel better about this. You were charging way too little when I met you, Daniel. I was. Yeah. So you were charging less than me. When I think when I met you, I was charging $25 an episode. I started out charging $5 an episode. So it was like the money coach. And it was also uh, validation from the community. So whenever Steve Stewart of Podcast Editors Club puts out that survey, that's like, how much do you charge for you know a 60 minute episode? Seeing how my rate compares to everybody else and seeing like I'm way undercharging what other people are. And then it's like, well, I know the market is willing to pay for it. I know the value is there. So it's like, if they can charge it, then so can I. I well, m- my husband always tells me, you don't get paid enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I, is he well, right? Um, yeah, I think in, in a lot of ways, you know, for a lot of clients, but I have clients at vastly different rates. Um, my highest paying client is $250 an episode. But Sweet. that is... A little bit like, so that's through a university, right? And so there's a grant behind it. So it's a little bit different. I don't have a problem being like, oh yeah, I'm going to charge you that much for this work because I know you're not paying for it out of your own pocket. And it's different Mm -hmm. when you're working with a a company or an organization, I think. And so I I look at it in kind of like two peers because the hobbyist, it's, it's hard, like, I don't know. See, this is my problem, my own bias, because I think it's harder to ask a hobbyist who's not making money off their show, right, to pay more than $100 an episode. I mean, not that I won't, but it's much harder. And I understand, like, I get no's, like a lot of no's for that rate because they can go find somebody cheaper. But the ones that I do have are very good. But I also have started now setting it up so I can charge maybe like $80 an episode, but I'm not doing the work, right? I'm just taking a piece of it. I'm just taking, well, I'm taking a piece of the pie and paying somebody else to do it. Descript? Right. Um, no, no. <laughs> she actually has people. Yeah. I, I have Descript. I have people. <laughs> she um, has people. Great people. Great people have been with me for a long time. You have a and posse? I have a posse. <laughs> okay. I, have, I have a global posse. Ooh. Yeah. So I do try to find ways to make it affordable, especially if it's somebody who's doing good work. And I say I'm my mother-in-law introduces me as the hippie Um, (laughs) because you do have a flower crown. Well, I do. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I have mine, too. Is that your she podcast crown? It is. It is. I want a blue one. Wow. Yeah. and you did smoke a big fat blunt before yeah. the episode. But anyway, oh, yeah, keep going. Absolutely. That's just like the point. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, you know, and I need, I probably need a money therapist. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> it is, it is hard. It is hard to get from there to there. Asking for 250 was hard. Like that was one of the hardest proposals I ever sent because I was like, hey, pay me 250. <laughs> And I think one thing to like, one way to think about it or to kind of like get to that number. Um, so a couple of weeks ago we had Tanner on and like his strategy, he charges like, I think the lowest he goes is like 640 an episode, but it, it, you know, it comes down to like, how much do you need or want to make 
how much are you willing to work and what do you need to charge in order to make that happen? So it's just kind of like come, coming at it from like, not how much do you think it's worth? How much do you need to make it worth it? Exactly. Yeah. And that's why one of the things you can do is like look to, if you are going to go out and talk to new potential clients, talk to people who have marketing budgets, you know, like yeah. yep. businesses who, you know, I mean, I've been really, I, I have this idea to focus on contractors because my family business back in Jersey is a contracting business and contractor contractors who are big enough to like advertise in the yellow pages and just at, do significant advertising. They actually have some money. They're probably, you know, three to $5 million a year revenue they're bringing in or 10 or 20 or $50 million a year. Like they actually have money, like 500 an episode or 800 an episode is not, it's, it, it, not out of the question. So, yeah, if you if you want to charge like two hundred fifty dollars an episode, like don't go after the hobbyists because one, they can't afford it, and two, they're probably not going to be podcasting long enough to be viable. So it's like finding the right client where it fits. Because I think Tanner goes after banks. I think that's like his client or something. So it's nice. like finding and like like you're saying, finding these companies that have a marketing budget that can understand that podcasting is a marketing channel, not a income generating um, avenue. Right. So like the podcast brings people to their business and that's why it's yep. worth $500 to produce a weekly an episode. Money is a very emotional topic. It, it's tough. It's tough to work through. What was the, the conversation in your head to Chris when you first got into like, I don't know what your rates started at, but I'm sure they started probably maybe lower than definitely now or no. I could be wrong. Like, Yeah, I think when I first started in 2012, oh, God, I think it was, uh, I can't remember, maybe, a, I remember 150 for maybe two episodes or no, no, it was 150 per episode, but I actually had a client who who thought I said 150 a month and to two episodes. Oh. oh, so for her, I was like, all right, I'll do two episodes for 150. But the other, other people I was charging 150, a few others, not many, like two or three others. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's not, and that's interesting when you say that, that, that she didn't understand. And instead of like holding your ground, you know, <laughs> well, right. because it was back then I was I just know. starting out. I was like, Hey, I could have another client, another show on the website right so mm, yeah hey yeah and sometimes it's worth it for had that advertising aspect yeah and, and you know my um definitely in the beginning i put in a lot of sweat equity we called it yeah just to get started and get out there and, and get the experience and i look back at that work now and i'm like yeah it's probably charging the right rate <laughs> and, and i think that too because one of my first clients i was charging five dollars an episode at the beginning I'm still working with her. We're at episode 180. Nice. But because of her, like I've got that led to like my entire business because like I was able to kind of get into that niche and just get a lot of referral from her than from those referrals from other people. So like sometimes, yeah, undercharging is icky, but it could lead to it. And like that's what equity. Yeah. And I students ask me this all the time. They're like, look, I, I don't feel right just going out and charging that much money it's like what if i what if someone what if i give a price and they say well can you do it for less than that and they say 
because I just really I just want to get a client. So I might just take that lower number. Like if you if you give them a price of $200 an episode and they come back and say, well, can you do it for $125 per episode? Look, if it's your first client, then maybe, yeah, say yes, right? Do it for $125 just to get the first client. But I tell them, don't make a habit out of that. Like do that once or maybe twice. That's it. After twice... No more. <laughs> no more 125. It's 200. <laughs> and then also, whenever you do that, have like a, a, an agreement or contract in place that stipulates a time frame. So like that rate is good for hundred for three months or six months and then reevaluate. So that way you're not just saying like, yeah, whatever. And right. then it's really hard to have that conversation. Whereas if you have a contract that expires in six months, then it's a lot easier to be like, all right, well, now it's blah, blah, blah. Do you have a stipulation in your contracts where you do periodic rate increases? It's not in the contract. I just do it. I've done it a few times. Yeah. I just have a conversation with my client. I'm like, look, it's been... In fact, I had a client who... Uh, Andrea says, it helps to have clients who are in sales who tell me to charge more and hold my ground on pricing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. That's not me. <laughs> so I had a client who I started with back when I had the physical studio but they it was a very tail end of the physical studio and it was great cuz they called me up and they were interested in doing a podcast and in my mind I was thinking to myself I'm literally closing the studio in 2 weeks and here I'm getting a call <laughs> it was a referral too <laughs> and but guess what one of the first things out of their mouth was look we know you have a physical studio but we actually want to do it remote is that okay nice. <laughs> yes. i was like yes <laughs> and uh so anyway, they had a price and then four years later, I had never raised it and then I was doing some other things and like uh, it just like a couple of their episodes in a row kind of just annoyed me for some reason, like there's for different reasons, <laughs> yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. major. But I was like, you know what? I'm literally only charging them that much. So I literally talked to them and I said, look, my rate has doubled, which it had. And so I didn't actually double their rate, I, but I did like 1.75 times their rate. And for a client, that's a big increase. Yeah. But I was like, look, I can't. And, and they did try to find someone else to produce their show. And they told me and I said, look, that's fine. I'll help you if you if it's. You know, if you don't, if you don't want to work with me anymore, that's fine. It's fine. So they apparently talked to a bunch of people. They talked to some network, podcast network. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we know how that went. And so they ended up coming back to me and saying, yeah, well, OK, we'll pay it. We'll pay the new price. And I was like, fine. Um, great. And they thought I didn't want to work with them anymore or something. I'm like, no, it's not that. It's just. You yeah, had especially a few if you're episodes annoyed, that annoyed me and I wanted to raise your rate. That's yeah. all. <laughs> and it's a win-win because either they want to work with somebody else, now you don't have to work with an annoying show, or you're getting paid more, so it's worth it. You can put up that annoyance. Like right. Penalty episodes? <laughs> <laughs> that annoyance fee? Yeah. What is it, Brittany? Is it Brittany or Emily who has the the the... Pain the in the rear charge. fee, like <laughs> in the rear surcharge that she adds in. <laughs> That's awesome. So one of the things that we've started on this show was to find out about that first client, and you've we've tiptoed around it a few times. But how did you find your very first client, Chris? Um, Way back. Yeah, 
I think I already mentioned that. So when I opened my studio, I started inviting all these Chamber of Commerce members to be on my show. I started a local business show called mm. Business Beat Radio and yeah. <laughs> brought people in and they'd sit there with the headphones and be like, wow, this is cool. And oh, great. And then, of course, I'd, after I post the episode, I email them with the link and they listen to themselves and they show it to their husband or wife. And <laughs> so I'm sure it was. Yeah, I, I, I got a handful of clients in the first three months there. Uh, I don't know who was actually first, but that's what it was. And, and the great thing about it was, too, I told them, I'm like, look, you're in the chamber. You can invite chamber chamber people to come here into my studio and interview them. So it's like, it was a cool place for them to bring it. They actually brought their guests in the studio with them. And then I sat there and recorded them. It was actually really cool. I love that. Like, because not only are you selling like the podcast, you're selling that experience of like going to a studio and being yeah, all professional. Then, then they can be the host and they walk into the studio. Hey, Chris, there's my engineer, Chris. Yeah. Hi, Chris. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Awesome. And you're still doing that now, just virtually. Yeah, my, my engineer Chris will be there with us. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally. So tell us again how people can get connected with you, especially in the podcast engineering school. Yeah, just the website, podcastengineeringschool.com. And there's a contact page and all that. And um, if you want to listen to my show, it's the podcast engineering show. So I'm, I'm around if anybody has questions. Um, yeah, I'm around. You're probably one of the like, most approachable people like in the industry. So I love that. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. I've learned, I've learned, I think we all have learned a lot from you. That's why mm -hmm. we always talk about you on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. Have, Happy yeah. to do it. I, I really, it's like when you think about, I mean, the, okay, so here's something. The reason I got into podcasting, you know, you really want to know why I got into podcasting? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> because af after I wrote my book in 2009, I published my book in 2009. Self-help book, right? And I was doing self-help seminars and coaching, that kind of thing, right? It never really took off because like I said before, no one actually cares about improving and all that. Like they really don't. Uh, so after doing that for like two, two and a half, three years, I, I literally felt in my bones that this is not it. Like I, I got to do something else. So I literally stopped doing that. I stopped doing the seminars and I had a couple clients, whatever. But And then I, I literally thought to myself, what skills do I have as a human being? Like, what am I actually good at? or what, what And what interests me? So I, I just made lists. I wrote lists of everything. Like, what interests me? Hiking, this, reading this book, aliens, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. Eastern mysticism, like, and, and then I'm like, what, what skills do I have? Well, I can, I'm a roofer. I've done a lot of roofing in my life. I was a carpenter's helper. I, you know, right. And I literally just made all these lists and on the list of what have I done or what have I learned how to do was audio engineering. And then once I listed everything out, all my interests and all everything I have experience with and what I like doing the most, I literally just, you sort of step back and I look, I stepped back and I looked at it and time after time, I just kept going back to audio engineering. I'm like, I've been trained. I have real world experience at a very high level in audio engineering. And you're right. So that I'm like, that's, and I love audio. So I'm mm -hmm. like, that's something I should be doing is audio. Right. And then, so that's when somehow I found out about podcasting 
And then that's when it just clicked. And I was like, that's it. Decision made. So. And the rest is history. Yeah, because I don't know if, if everyone does that from time to time. Like make a list of your interests and your skills and things you like. And yeah, Carrie does. <laughs> is it on that whiteboard? Uh, no, but it's like related to that. This is a list of all the stuff my website does, right? And leads to. So to kind of, you know, working on, re, you know, when I have time to, to re refining that and seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't. So I am a list maker. <laughs> my wife is too. Yeah. I have all, I have, I have notebooks dedicated. Lists of lists. List. It lists I need to make, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us. It's been fun. Sorry, Barry couldn't thank join you. us. Maybe next time I'll think ahead and invite him on. Maybe Send not. our love. Matter of fact, no, maybe we'll only great. invite Barry. Mm. <laughs> 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 Barry, yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. You guys are great. Uh, this is just... It's, I love what you're doing and I'm happy to be part of it. And if I can help, let, I'm here to help. You know, I mean, I'm obviously I have my school, but I, I, I don't just help my students. Right. I'm happy to help everybody. So if I can be of any help or or if you guys want to. Maybe head up or, or work with me to do some sort of new client challenge or something cool. Um, that could be. I, really yeah, cool. I think that would be really fun. Sounds scary. Um, yeah, <laughs> very intimidating. Out of my comfort zone. I'm going to have to add it to my to-do list, though. <laughs> well, I'm Jennifer Longworth. You can find me at bourbonbarrelpodcasting.com or on social media at KYpodcasting. I'm Daniel Abendroth of Roth Media, and you can find me at rothmedia.audio. And I'm Carrie Galfield, Eric from Yaya Podcasting, and you can find me at yayapodcasting.com. And if you would like to find out more about the Podcast Editor's Mastermind, if you would like to be a guest or anything like that, you can find us at podcasteditorsmastermind.com and find us every other Thursday at 10.05 Eastern because we're always late. So it's 10.05 (laughs) Eastern here on Facebook. Join the group, watch our page, and uh, be a guest. All right, everybody go there all at once. Let's try to crash the server. Go. <laughs> no, 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 no. Podcast Center, mastermind.com. <laughs> and broadcast. Uh, um, so. How much is that? Um. 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 Um.